Luke chapter 7 this morning, we continue with the Miracles of Jesus series throughout the book of Luke. Luke chapter 7, we'll look at verses 11 through 18 this morning. Luke chapter 7. Is anybody else warm? Right, I'm sorry, we're at that time of the year where we need heat at 10 a.m. and air conditioning at 11 a.m., so it is very difficult to get it just right. So we're shutting the heat down right now, and uh, hopefully it'll cool down a little bit here in the next few moments. Luke chapter 7. Again, thank you, Master Club's workers, and so ble- such a blessing. And you know that's translating into Sunday now. We're putting out extra chairs in Sunday school every week, and so we praise the Lord for that, and seeing young people saved and the teen class growing, and so it's exciting to see God work. Continue to pray about that. I heard the voice of Dwayne Forth this morning on the narration there, and I was talking to his pastor this week in Ottawa, and they just love having the Forths at their church, and they're saying it's such a blessing to them. So we miss them here, but we're glad that they're helping another church and a blessing up there in Peterborough. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Look, if you will, in verse 11. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain. Many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. I want you to notice, just by quick way of introduction this morning, that this miracle is a little different than all the others. Jesus had never raised anybody from the dead to this point. There was no evidence that he would raise somebody from the dead. Up until this point, lepers had come to Jesus, and the man was lowered down through the roof to Jesus, and people sought out Jesus Christ, but not in this case. Instead, they were carrying their son to a grave. The Bible says in verse uh, 13, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the buyer. And they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. He that was dead sat up. Boy, that'll ruin a funeral. And he began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all. And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us. That God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea. And throughout all the region round about. And the disciples of John showed him of all these things. Let's pray. Father, we need your help today. Lord, we ask that as God had visited these people, you would also visit with us. That you'd meet with us. Father, I pray that each one in this room would just take a moment and comprehend that we are in your presence today, that we are in your house, that we are here to worship you, that we are here to hear from the word of God. Lord, that you'd prepare our hearts to receive that word and that you would reward those that would listen, Lord, by impressing your Holy Spirit upon them and helping them today. Father, I need your help. And so, Father, I pray that you'd fill me. I surrender to you. And Father, we'll thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The fact that God heals was demonstrated throughout the life and ministry of his son, Jesus Christ. It's a testament to the fact that God values life. 
In the world today, we throw life away, it seems, and God has given us commandments against murder, and he has expressed his will regarding abortion of the unborn, that it shall be traded the same as murder. He extended life on numerous occasions through miraculous healings. He even took life as a punishment against sin. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God, and his reward was that he did not have to suffer death along with Elijah. Yet, once someone has already died, once they've already passed away, we value life, but once they've died, we claim the promise to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As a Christian, we have a totally different perspective, don't we? The Bible tells us that death is the enemy. Nobody looks forward to death. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not scared of death, but I don't like the thought of dying. How many of you understand what I mean? Boy, I've been in too many hospitals and sat by too many bedsides to watch people slip away. And it's a chilling feeling. It's an odd feeling. As a matter of fact, for a while there, there was over the course of a year, I went to three or four different hospital visits where somebody passed away shortly after I arrived or just an hour after I left. And Pastor Phil Clayton says, listen, if I get sick, don't you come visit me. Nobody looks forward to that. We look forward to being with Jesus. And we comfort ourselves with the fact that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so it's almost like we're able to flip a switch, isn't it? We can sit beside the bedside and grieve over somebody that is suffering. And we hate to see that pain and we hate to see that, that those final moments. But once they're gone, there's almost a relief in the life of a Christian that they're at home with Jesus. And so though we value life... We're not scared of death. And though we understand that God has the power of life and death in his hands and that we are to respect it and we are to hold it in high regard, that we also understand that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so we have a balance. It's one thing to treasure life while we have it. But once it's gone, we have the eternal promise of God's presence. So why did Jesus raise people from the dead? Think about that. I remember as years ago when Brendan was a little boy and we were doing family devotions and we were reading in Luke chapter 16 where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And Brendan looked up at me and he says, Dad, why wasn't Lazarus mad about that? If to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, why would you ever want to come back? Oh, boy, I hate it when kids ask questions like that. Because I said, I really don't know, son. I really don't know. The only thing I can think is that God had to take his memory, and, you know, and it was an Old Testament thing, and I, you can't get into Old Testament theology with an eight-year-old. But I said it was a very different time, and God could not allow him to remember heaven when he came back, or else he wouldn't have wanted to come back. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I, I wouldn't want to come back, would you? We thought about Merv when we received that call that morning, and I thought, you know, it broke our hearts initially. My wife broke right down in the motel room crying, and, and then we looked at each other and said, well, he's far better off than we are. Paul reminds us that to depart is far better. To be with Jesus is so much better. You think about having a, you ever come home from church and say, man, that was just an uplifting service and the choir sang and the ensemble sang. Hey, I'm going to tell you, as much as I enjoy this, it's nothing compared to the angels singing around the throne of God. 
Every day is Sunday in heaven. Every day is the Lord's day. And he'll be worshipped and praised forevermore. And so heaven is such a wonderful place. And so I wonder, why did Jesus raise people from the dead? You know, religion in the days of Christ was in big trouble. It was absolutely corrupt. But it was the religious leaders that were really the culprits. You might remember that the woman of Samaria, even though she was an outcast and she was a, a Samaritan on top of that, she met Jesus at the well, but she understood that the Christ was coming. And she was looking forward to the day that she would worship the Lord. It seems that the average Jew that was living in Israel still held out hope that the Messiah was coming, even though the Pharisees and the Sadducees were so busy arguing their religion and looking for man-centered worship. These, these average people still believed that Jesus was coming. You'll remember that when Jesus was being dedicated, Anna the prophetess believed uh, that Jesus was the Christ and that Simeon ran into that temple and lifted up Christ with great joy and said, "'Mine eyes have seen thy salvation.'" I have to believe that this young man that was living in Nain was an average Jewish man. He was likely raised in, to fear God and to love God. And I have to believe that he likely believed in God just like his mother and others would. And so why would he want to come back from the dead? Why would he want to return from Abraham's bosom? Why would he want to come back from that place that the Old Testament calls paradise? Why did Jesus raise him from the dead? Well, I think we have the answer in the following paragraph. If you'll look in Luke chapter 7 and verse 19, read the scripture with me. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus. You say, why did he do that? Because in Matthew, it says that John was in prison. He wasn't able to go himself saying, Art thou that he should come, or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour he cured many of their firmities and plagues of, and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. And Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John that things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. Look at that next phrase. The dead are raised. You know, just yesterday he couldn't say that. He hadn't raised anybody from the dead yet. And in order to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament and uh, prove that he was the Messiah, he had to also be able to raise the dead. And he says to the poor, the gospel is preached and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Jesus, I believe, raised this young man from the dead, first of all, because it verified that he was in fact the Messiah. Secondly, it wasn't for the young man, but look at verse 15 of our text. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. There was a need here. This mother was without and had lost her only son and her only probably means of support and her only earthly fellowship, the one that she dwelt with. And so it was important to the master that the Bible says he had compassion, not on the boy, but in verse 13 it says he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. The sense of loss that the Lord Jesus Christ 
felt apathetically with this woman was not because of the suffering of the son, but it was because of the pain and the loss of the mother. You see, Jesus didn't raise him from the dead for, for his sake, but one, to verify that he was the Messiah, two, to, to, to serve this lady, and third, it confirmed that he had power over life and death. Now, let me ask you this. Would you trust the Savior who had no power over death? What if Jesus walked up to that buyer and touched it and said, young man, arise, and nothing happened? Well, you know, he's still good to keep around. He can heal lepers. What if he walked to the tomb of Lazarus and, Lazarus, come forth! And nothing happened. He'd have been a laughing stock. What if Jesus himself had not walked out of that grave on Resurrection Sunday? Then we'd have no hope whatsoever. But with this first miracle of raising the dead, Jesus proved once and for all, I have power over life. And if Jesus has power over physical life, you can trust him with eternal life. You can believe him when he says that he paid the price for your sins. And you can believe him when he died on the cross. You can believe that he rose from the grave triumphant over death and hell. And you can believe that he's coming again because of the resurrection. John chapter 10 says this, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Bible says in John 11, Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were yet dead, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And Jesus would go on to say in Matthew chapter 10, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is saying, listen, I am life. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the resurrection and the life. You see, in the Old Testament, even Abraham believed that. He believed that if Isaac were sacrificed on the mountain, it tells us in Hebrew that God would raise him up. He had a faith in the resurrection. He had a faith that God was in fact life. And not only is God life, he says, listen, the only one you need to fear is not those that can kill your physical body. But you need to fear those, me. He doesn't say uh, those or a plural. He says, but fear him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. As much as God values human life, eternity is really what matters the most. Whether you have 20 years on this earth or you have 100 years on this earth, it's nothing compared to eternity with or without Christ. I read a sign years ago on a front of a church that says, atheists have no future. That's a lie from the pits of hell. They have an eternal future in the lake of fire that is burning with fire and brimstone where they'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. They'll be cast into outer darkness where the, where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. It's a terrible place, but for the believer, we also have an eternity. It's eternity in the very presence of Christ. Jesus Christ, by raising this young man, not only proclaimed the value of life, but he demonstrated for us the importance of eternal life. I just want to share with you a couple things this morning. As we look at this parable of, or this parallel, I should say, of physical life and spiritual life and the first conclusion we can draw is this, that the dead cause much grief. 
The dead cause. How many of you would agree with that? The most sorrow we have in this life is when somebody dies. We go through trials and we go through things that, that, that pale in comparison to that moment when somebody slips from this earth and into eternity. And boy, it breaks our hearts. The, the dead cause much grief. There's the prospect of loneliness. There's the loss of means, perhaps. There's the separation for a time. And there's always that thought in our mind, did they truly know Jesus Christ? The spiritual dead cause so much, cause so much more grief. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're causing a great sorrow for others around you that you may not be aware of. When you come over for a dinner and you sit with them, they're not going to express that to you. They're, they're smiling and happy you're there, but I'm here to tell you that there's tears shed on your behalf. There's people in this room that know not Christ, and there's other people in this room that are weeping over your soul. The dead cause much grief. And maybe you have a wayward child today or a wayward grandchild and, and, and uh, you understand the grief I am talking about as they know not Jesus Christ and they're walking around spiritually dead and separated from God. And boy, it breaks the heart and it burdens us today and there's much sorrow over the lost or there should be. But I want to address those today that Maybe you've come with a friend or maybe you're just playing church. You say, what do you mean playing church? Listen, you can come into church and you can sing the songs and you can, you can, you can raise your hands and you can dress in a suit and tie and you can talk like a Christian and smell like a Christian. But if you have not Christ, you're just playing church. If you're not following the spirit of God, you're just playing church. If you're singing those songs and they mean nothing to you. Man, think of some of the words that we sang today. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Saving, loving, keeping. Man, what a, our great Savior. He's wonderful. Some of the things we sang about God's great love, and the choir sang, and then we sang it. And wow, what a wonderful, what a wonderful way to worship our Lord, to talk about Him and to praise Him. And you stood there and you recited those words from rote memory like it meant nothing to you. Oh, friend, do you have Christ? Has he been interjected into your life? One of the greatest sorrows a pastor has is knowing that his community around him is lost and dying and going to hell. But friends, what about the ones right here in the pew? What about the ones that are playing church? What about the ones that come every week to appease their conscience but there's no spiritual life there? The Sunday morning hour is the only hour of the week that they have spent with God at all. Your Bible collects dust all week. Sure, dust off the computer, though, don't we? Spend a lot of time on our phones. Brother, remember Brother Lake read that verse, led about by our devices, and that's how people are led about today, by their devices. Spend a lot of time in the TV guide, watching the idiot box, how much time do you spend with Christ? Oh, but I'm saved. Does your lifestyle prove it? Is there a regenerate heart? Is there something that says that you're a child of God? If not, you're causing much grief. The dead cause much grief and also the dead bear no fruit. Look what the Bible says in verse 12. 
Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man. Look at the next two words. Carried out. The only verb we see associated with the dead man is the word carried. He had no strength of his own, no power of his own, no ability to do any work, no ability to prove anything. He was dead. He bore no fruit any longer. I'm sure as a young man he was vital and he was able to carry out work and to be a help and a blessing to his mother and take care of her physical needs, but no longer because he had died. The dead bear no fruit. Look back to Luke chapter 3 this morning. Luke chapter 3 and verse 7. Oh, friend, would you look at your heart this morning? Then said he to the multitude that came forth. I'm in verse 7, sorry. Luke chapter 3, verse 7. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. The Pharisees were coming out of the woodwork and they wanted to look good before their people. They didn't want to be embarrassed. And so they were submitting themselves to the baptism of John the Baptist. John says, oh, you generation of vipers, who hath warned you from the wrath to come? Just bring you forth fruit, meat for repentance. In other words, prove that you've changed. Show me something. Oh, Christian, you're here today and you say, but I, I prayed a prayer. So what? Do you know a prayer never saved anybody? Faith in the heart saves. Prayer is just our confession that is made unto salvation. But faith in the heart is what saves by the grace of God. Once we've repented of our sin and we've trusted in Jesus Christ as the only way, truth, and life, then we can be saved. Oh, I've prayed a prayer. You can die with your prayers. The Pope prays. Lots of well-meaning people pray. Do you know this? People in hell pray. The Bible says the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment in the flame, and he prayed to Abraham, send Lazarus, that he might go and tell my five brothers. Oh, yeah, people in hell pray, but they're still in hell. They say, oh, but I, I got baptized. That's what the Pharisees wanted too. They want a, a display of good works. He says, no, it's, it's not about your works and it's not about your prayer life. And it's, listen, it's about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Bring me forth fruit, meat for repentance. Matthew chapter 7 says this, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Can I ask you this? What spiritual fruit are you bearing today? The Bible says in Luke chapter 7, our text this morning, that this dead man could do nothing. He was just simply carried out. There was no heartbeat left. There was no breath in his lungs. There was no blood pumping through his veins. There was no thoughts going through his head. There was no fruit being produced. What fruit are you bearing? You say, oh, but I'm alive in Christ. Is there fruit? The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and on and on. So many times Christians are caught up in bitterness, and hatred, and envying, and strife, and gossip, 
What fruit are you bearing? Do you have the life of Christ in you? The Bible puts it very simply, he that hath the Son hath life. It's not he that said a prayer. It's not he that got baptized. It's not he that believes. The Bible says the demons in hell believe and they tremble. No, it's about the conversion of a heart because the life of Christ has been put into you. It's about having that new nature. It's becoming new in Jesus Christ. There's a spiritual life. Do you have it this morning? This man was obviously dead. And he needed a touch. Listen, without that spiritual life, you're just playing church today. Maybe you're here today and you've, you've trusted Jesus Christ 50, 60, 80 years ago. Maybe it was 10 years ago, whatever it is. And, and the, the heart has grown cold. The Bible talks about in Revelation chapter 3, the Laodicean church and how they had lost their first love. And now Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Can you imagine Jesus having to stand outside the church and say, I just want to come in. Oh, woe is me. Maybe you're in that place today and you're like as unto spiritually dead. The flame has gone out. It is just a, a small ember now and it's just flickering perhaps. And oh, that God would fan it and allow it to burst forth in flame again. That there'd be evidence, there'd be fruit in our lives that we are children of God. Here's the good news. If we look back in Luke chapter 7, we find out there's one who gives life. Isn't that good? Amen, preacher, that's good. I'll amen myself if I have to. Hey, there's one in the Bible who can give life. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. In Luke chapter 7, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ had compassion, the Bible says. And as we read on in verse 13, it says, and when it was, or sorry, Luke chapter 7, I'm on the wrong page. Luke chapter 7, verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. And he came and touched the buyer. And they that bare him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, Arise. Boy, it's a foregone conclusion with Jesus, isn't it? You don't talk to dead people. Dead people can't hear. But Jesus knew he wouldn't be dead for long. He said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he sat up. Boy, there's one that has the power to give life. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen, friends, quit trusting in your religion and quit trusting in the church and quit trusting in that one hour a week to save you and come to Jesus today who is life and life everlasting. And, 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 and I don't mean to be crude, but listen, you, you need to hitch your wagon to something. And it's not religion and it's not the church, but you must put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Trust in him. For he alone has the power to give life. Boy, that really messed up the Pharisees. And look what it says in verse 16. And there came a fear on all, everybody. Boy, that'd make the religious crowd mad. No longer are we worried about pretense and no longer are we worried about being good enough to please God. We understand we're lost and we're sinners and fear falls upon us and they begin to glorify God and trust it in God that a great prophet is risen among us and that God hath visited his people. 
Hey, let me say this. When spiritual life is renewed, you'll know when God's visiting. When God sweeps through. Boy, I've, I've been in services where you look around you and you see people, God getting a hold of them. You wonder, why is not it happening to me? Can I tell you where the problem is? The problem's me. It's because I've got, I'm spiritually cold or I'm, I'm dealing with an issue that's, that I've not dealt with right and I've not taken it to the Lord properly and the embers of my heart have grown cold and, and God's not dealing with me like he, he should be able to deal with me because I'm not trusting in the one that gives life. But when we trust in the one that gives life and he begins to fan those embers again and a flame erupts, oh my, what God can't do when he sweeps through a room. Are you trusting in him for all spiritual life? Religion gives promises, but it can never reform character. It'll teach principles. It'll encourage good living. But only Jesus can give life. Only Jesus can change your soul. Look at verse 16. Fear came on all. And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen among us, that God hath visited his people. I see two litmus tests in verse 16. One, when was the last time you had a fear of God like that? When was the last time you had a fear of God like that? If you went to the funeral home this afternoon and walked into another room and that body sat up, boy, I tell you what, you'd fear God. Somebody's sitting there praying, praying for the family or whatever, and all of a sudden that body sits up. Jesus passes by. I don't expect that'll happen, to be honest with you. But what if it did? Well, you'd, you'd be fearing God then, wouldn't you? Well, that's, there's a limit. When was the last time you feared God like he could raise the dead? When was the last time you, you, you talked to Jesus like the one that walked on water and the one that raised the dead and the one that cured blinded eyes and the one that cast out demons? The one that's the name above all names. When was the last time you feared God like that? Boy, we get, we get hero worship so easy, don't we? People stutter in the presence of an athlete. It's so excited about that. Can't talk. We see these, these teenage girls just faint when a rock star walks by. And you say, oh, this generation, no, don't, don't you be so smug. I, I've seen old videos of when Elvis came over here in the Beatles. Mrs. Broughton, you went nuts too, didn't you? I mean, fainted. I mean, good night. It, it's true. It's, it's not this generation that does it. We all faint. What about the power of God? The fear of the presence of Jesus. When was the last time we feared him like that? When was the last time we glorified him as, as God? When was the last time we noticed that he had visited his people? That comes from a spiritual life. That only God can create. That only God can sustain. We have to get into the word. He gives life. Matthew 10 verse 28 says this. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who do you fear today? Where is that life that you have coming from? Is it coming from Christ? Then it's a spiritual life. And if you have the Son of God, you have life. But if he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You're lost and on your way to a Christless eternity. What about you that are just backslidden? I haven't sensed that in a while. I haven't known Christ's presence. I don't fear him like I ought to fear him. Boy, it'd clean up some sin in our life if we did. It'd clean up our worship if we did. We'd be ashamed to call upon the name of the Lord. We wouldn't be ashamed to sing his praise.
We glorify him. This week, we're going to go out into the Norfolk County Fair and tell people about Jesus. How bold are you going to be? How excited are you about the opportunity to, to win a soul to Jesus Christ? Boy, Calvin texted me last night and told me about Kyle that got saved. Man, I was excited. I thought, boy, I wish it, that was me. But when I walked down and he stuck his hand out, he didn't even say good morning. I was just going around shaking hands. He put his hand out and he goes, I got saved this last night. Got saved at the dodgeball tournament in St. Thomas. Man, that, that's exciting. When was the last time I could look in your eyes and you could say, hey, I got, I got saved too. I got saved 30 years ago and I'm still excited about it. I just can't quite get over it yet. I'm excited about what Jesus is going to do in my life today. Boy, maybe we ought to be a little more like a newborn Christian. Hey, I'm, I'm still saved and I'm loving it. Where's your spiritual life coming from? It can only come from Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us to fear you, to love you, to glorify you. Father, to rely upon you. Thank you for the illustration that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us in raising the dead to life. For Lord, it proved to us that he is the Messiah. It proved to us he had power over life and death. But it also showed us that he had the power over eternal life. God, speak to our hearts now, we pray. Help us. And Father, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. No one's looking around. God has spoke to your heart. This altar's open. Friend, do you know Jesus as your Savior? So one here say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. Could we help you? I'm not going to embarrass anybody and nobody's looking around. I won't call your name, but just slip up your hand and let us pray for you today. Is there one? Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. So one here say, Preacher, I remember when it used to be exciting. I want God to fan that ember again. I want God to burst forth in flames in my life. I, I, I just want that, that feeling it was like a Kyle had this morning when he said, I got saved. David had to pray, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Why don't you come and pray? Why don't you give it to the Lord this morning? Why don't you step out and humble yourself and say, I'm going to come to that old-fashioned altar and I'm going to give my heart right with the Lord and ask him to do a work in my life. It hasn't happened in a long time.